the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome, friends, uh, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Glad that you're with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Uh, Let me just mention that Pete Paquette uh, is engineering beautifully for us. He's good. And so is Andrew Herdliska, who produces this show for us every weekend. And I want to introduce to you Wendy Alsup, author of Companions in Suffering, Comfort for Times of Loss and Loneliness. And she's also written another book, I Forgive You. Wendy, welcome to Orlando. We have a lot to talk about, don't we? Yeah, thanks for having me, Pat. I'm really excited to talk today. So this Companions in Suffering book, what's what's that title mean? Well, um, often suffering can be a very alienating road to travel. In fact, it always is. It's very alienating. And often, even when we are surrounded by people who want to love and care for us, we can feel deep in our psyche like we are utterly alone. But God does tell us, Jesus told his disciples before he left them, I will not leave you as orphans. And so the book is really an exploration of the multiple ways we aren't alone when we do feel alone. Wendy, you open your book with a chapter called On the Outside Looking In. Uh, What's that mean? Well, I think even more so today in our current social media age, we can have the perception when we are suffering that everybody else is going on with their lives as normal. So it's feels almost like we got kicked off the boat and the boat's cruising on without us and we're kind of watching the lights and the distance and we can hear the fun other people are having um, in their rooms or at the lounge or wherever and we just feel like we're treading water somewhere different and we can't figure out how to get back with the group. And... um that feeling of alienation really haunted me a lot during some particularly hard years that I recount in the book. And, um, and so I just really at the beginning wanted to let people know if you are feeling this, that is a normal feeling. Um, and then we're going to challenge it um, as we look at scripture, at the character of God. And also when we really do give a good look at the world around us, not through a social media lens, but through a, a real lens. Um, we'll see we we are very much not alone in what we're going through. Let's move to topic two, our suffering savior you write about. 
what are you saying here, Wendy? Well, really, the primary companion we have in our our troubles is Jesus himself. He is not unaffected by the suffering that we feel. And in fact, number one, he has felt such suffering. Um, And then number two, he promises to carry it with us, even for us. Um, So we have the shepherd of our soul who has suffered. And Jesus is suffering on the cross. He suffered under the weight of sin. He suffered watching sin harm people he loved in the world. And um, the Bible talks at multiple places about his suffering, and it's just a really powerful thing to know that it's not just Jesus on the throne kind of trying to give me a pep talk, but it's Jesus in the trenches with us knowing what we're struggling with, and also empowering us to carry a weight we could never carry by ourselves. What's fellowship of the suffering mean? Well, (laughs) I found in my own suffering that as I began to look with a little more awareness, I actually saw a lot of friends and family who had suffered before me who were able to come and walk alongside of me. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. (laughs) So the fellowship of the suffering, as I walked along in my own suffering and I looked out and started to become more aware of folks around me who had stories of suffering I realized what I ended up actually doing, just a a practical um, thing, was I invited certain friends that I trusted spiritually who I knew had suffered themselves, two of which had had their fathers die young in life, and some other different stories of suffering, but um, one who had gone through some pretty serious church hurt, and I gathered this group of friends that I knew loved the Lord, but had hurt deeply. And I just asked, can I be more vulnerable with you? I need a place where I can be really honest. And those ladies and um, one friend who was a disabled man came alongside of me so well. It was um, a level of honesty I couldn't offer to everybody. You know, not everybody is safe, um, but this smaller band of fellow believers who had suffered deeply were able to come alongside of me, kind of like the Fellowship of the Ring, and help me bear the burdens I was carrying. Um, So I think it's really important for us to identify those people in our lives. Let's move on. Topic four, you call it pleading for rescue. What's that mean? Well, in Scripture... Um, We go on also to look in Scripture at the places that the Lord has left us a very vulnerable testimony in His inspired written Word, you know, um, that the the Bible is not um, outside of our frame of reference, but there's so much in Scripture that puts exactly what we are feeling at some of these horrible points into words. David pleaded for rescue in Psalm 68, and I found that particular psalm 
so helpful to me when I couldn't, I, you know, I had a couple of dark places where I really struggled to put into words any kind of prayer to God. But David in Psalm 68 pled for rescue from God. And the language that he gave um, in that chapter of the book, I just worked through that language that David uses in Psalm 68, and I found such camaraderie, such solidarity with David in it. And it really meant the world to me that God had left me a template in Scripture when I couldn't figure out how to put into words what I was feeling myself. My guest is Wendy Alsup. <clears throat> She's in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Uh, Companions in Suffering. Now, uh, this topic, Help My Unbelief, uh, where does that fit in this discussion, Wendy? Well, we do have an honest discussion about the fact that um, we are wrestling with our faith. And um, I like to look at Psalm 73, where the psalmist is going through a very hard time. And he says, you know, if I actually verbalize what I'm really thinking, it would um, almost be blasphemous. You know, like it would, it would, um, I don't want to put into words what I'm really feeling deep inside because I'm the song leader, I'm the psalmist. And what I'm feeling just feels so wrong, almost heresy. And, but we have this prayer in scripture in the gospels where the, the man comes to Jesus and he says, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And that the Lord is so gracious with our struggle for faith. And um, sometimes we don't want to articulate. We want to try to put on a good verbal face to others. But Scripture actually gives us permission and language to be very honest about the fact that our faith is very weak at certain points. Wendy, <clears throat> here we go. Ambiguous loss. You're going to have to unravel that one for us. Yeah, ambiguous loss is a really um, <clears throat> recent concept for a very long experience type of loss that we haven't necessarily known how to articulate. But um, Pauline Boss, a researcher and psychologist, kind of came up with the term in the last maybe 20, 25 years. And it's very much about losses that don't fit uh, maybe our normal process of grief. So you might have um, physical presence with emotional or mental absence. So maybe you have um, a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's. And perhaps, you know, someone might look at you and say, well, I, I know this is hard, but I'm so, I wish that my parent was still living. Um, and may not understand the slow process of, of dealing with the loss when someone is both there and not there. And you can have situations of physical absence but emotional presence, like maybe you have a loved one who is um, deployed or a loved one who is incarcerated. And so, the, in theory, they are still there in your life, but they're not there in your life right now. And um, we don't really have, we often don't even talk about these types of losses as genuine loss, um, but someone missing in action or um, even like a miscarriage or a child born with a um, 
medical condition, um, these things where in, in, in there's, there's an ambiguity to the relationship. Is it, is it, do you have that person or do you not have that person in your life? And um, ambiguous loss, you know, for me, I was dealing with um, um, a, a dear loved one who had very significant mental health issues uh, with schizophrenia. And so they were there, but they were fundamentally changed. And I was just putting out fires. I didn't even know where to begin dealing with the emotional issues that I was facing in that relationship. And it took me a long time to recognize I'm mourning the loss of what I thought my life would be. And I'm mourning what my life looking forward looking like, um, even though I still have this person in my life. So ambiguous loss is a really helpful term. And actually, Scripture has a lot of examples of ambiguous loss. Um, Joseph's uh, story in particular has a, a lot of ambiguous loss in it and a lot of wisdom in how we can navigate it. My guess is Wendy Alsup. Wendy, learning to lament, why is that important? Well, often in our Christian circles, we put on a good face um, to what we're struggling with. So, you know, I'm just recently... Um, a friend lost a child, and immediately there were words like, oh, well, they are safe in the arms of Jesus, and I'm so glad you had them for a while, and um, at least they didn't suffer. You know, it's like, um, how do we come up with um, something that shows we are faithful in our beliefs? And that's good, right? But Scripture also gives us permission and instruction on how to say, wow, God did not create us for death. God created us for eternal life. Death is horrible. <laughs> death is horrible. And it is true faith to, to cry out when death comes and say, death is not right. Death is the curse. Death is not God's design. And I found in the book of Job such helpful language for how to lament righteously, so how to be honest about your wrestling. Of course, we're not supposed to make peace with suffering. Suffering is all that's wrong with the world, not what God intended it to be. And our, and our, and our final um, place in heaven is not to suffer. There was no suffering in Eden, and there will be no suffering in the eternal kingdom. And so the fact that we would wrestle against suffering, I don't have to accept suffering. I lament it. And I cry out against it. I say, come, Lord. Um, you know, come, Lord, quickly. This is not good. This is not right. And so we tend to think that lament means we aren't trusting God. But that is not what Scripture tells us. And the book of Job in particular is really helpful to correct that in our heads. My guest is Wendy Alsup, and we're talking about her book, Companions in Suffering. Uh, we need to take a break, and when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask Wendy to address this topic, finding rest. So uh, that should be interesting. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and you're listening to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. 
in Orlando. We will be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. My guest, and she's in Orangeburg, South Carolina, Wendy Alsop. Companions in Suffering. And, and Wendy, as I mentioned, finding rest is the next topic to t- talk to us about. Yeah, so in that, this chapter, the last chapter on lament, we spent looking at Job's wrestling with God. But then the end of the book of Job, after he's lamented and he's wrestled and his friends have given terrible advice, but God finally speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, the Bible says. And, and God's words are counterintuitive, I think to what we would maybe expect God to say to the person who is the quintessential example of suffering in Scripture. But God speaks up to him and says, I am God. And God goes through his power, his creation, and and compares God's knowledge and power to Job. And Job, in this counterintuitive set of words from God actually finds his rest. He's actually able to say, yes, Lord, I submit. Yes, God, I don't understand, but you are God. It's really um, sweet moment where, I mean, it really, I keep saying counterintuitive because you would think, oh, I don't want to just submit to God in my suffering. That just feels like fatalism. That feels like you know, I'm beaten down. But it's more of like the child who's resisting the care of the parent, finally giving in and accepting it. And for Job, this is when he finally found deep soul rest and comfort and hope for the future. And I think for all of us, it comes this point in our stories of suffering when we have to finally say, like release ourselves to God. Okay, okay, I'm going to believe you are good. I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to hope for my future based on your character and not my circumstances. And it really leads, I think it's a place that every person struggling with God and their suffering has to eventually get to in order to find the way forward. Wendy, tell us about waiting on Jesus. Um, Mary and Martha, this chapter is about Mary and Martha, and um, it really is a helpful story because Jesus deliberately, when, when, when Lazarus was sick, Jesus deliberately, if you read the language of the story, chose not to go when, they, when he was sick. And he told his disciples he did not go um, because he loved them. Because he loved Mary and Martha, he did not go when they originally called him. And by the time he does get there, Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are very distraught. The people are weeping. But Jesus didn't save them from that first temporary pain. You know, he could have gone and healed Lazarus when he was just sick and him not died, but Jesus actually loved them enough 
that he wanted to show them something bigger. He didn't want to just show them that he could heal the sick. He wanted to show them, these people he loved, that he could raise the dead. And um, it's really powerful when you get a vision for him waiting, and then this hard thing comes, and but the end result is that he can show them something even better, even bigger about his character and about his power. And um, so that story of Mary and Martha and how the Lord um, deliberately tarried, I think really informs a lot of... Um, how we should think about our own seasons of waiting when we're suffering. Wendy, at the end of your book, you have two chapters using the word fellowship, fellowship with a cloud of witnesses and fellowship with the rock. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, the cloud of witnesses um, are these witnesses that have gone on before us in scripture, but also in, um, evangelical life. There are a lot of missionary witnesses. I love to read missionary biographies on uh, Amy Carmichael or Elizabeth Elliot, um, some of my favorites, and just hear how God worked in their hearts and lives and circumstances. And they are, they just like uh, the, the, the testimonies from Hebrews 11 of the cloud of witnesses, witnesses give testimony of a truth, and the truth is that God can be trusted. And so when we when we realize they're all surrounding us, I feel like they're, um, we're running a marathon and are suffering, and these clouds of witnesses on either sideline are those believers who have gone before us, and their testimony offers us a cup of cold water on our long marathon to help us keep going. And then ultimately, our fellowship with God, the rock, is the ultimate um, one who keeps us going, but mainly even more so than keeping us going, because we talk about fellowship with Christ and how he comes alongside of us. But this imagery of God as rock speaks to something else. And what God as rock is um, that he is the underpinning. So we may fall, but what are we going to fall on? Solid ground, you know. We, we, we are not going to be destroyed by our suffering. Believers will not. Now, we may be cast down. We may, you know, we may be sad. We may be struggling, but Paul says it too. You will not be destroyed by our suffering, and it's this promise of God as our underpinning. God is our solid rock. And the um, imagery in Scripture goes from, you know, really Joseph's story to um, the end of Revelations. God is our rock. And so it's kind of like the grand finale is, you know, you may feel like you're going to fall, but if you fall, it's on solid ground. And that's our sustaining hope when we're in the middle of, of things that we don't know how to navigate through. Wendy Alsup has been explaining her book, Companions in Suffering. But Wendy, I'm curious about this new book called I Forgive You. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I Forgive You, Finding Peace and Moving Forward When Life Really Hurts. This is an in-depth look at the story of Joseph in Genesis. And it's 
as much as it's on forgiveness, it's also on repentance. So um, we can forgive, uh, but but forgiveness is different than reconciliation. So forgiveness doesn't mean we sweep sin under the carpet. Forgiveness doesn't mean we excuse abuse. But forgiveness is a stance for us to take as a willingness to um, let go of wrongs done to us as Christ has covered our sins with the hope that the one who has sinned will repent and repair. And Joseph's story models all of it for us. There's true sin against Joseph, but there is legitimate repentance and repair and forgiveness and reconciliation in this family. Um, and so this is just an in-depth look at how that plays out in Joseph's life. Not as a, um, it's not a like manual for how to get to reconciliation, but more of an example to whet our appetite for what God can do in really bad situations. Wendy, why is it that we never seem to get enough of Joseph in his life, from Broadway shows to books to sermons? I mean, we just seem fascinated with this man, right? Yeah. I think in the end, um, a lot of times we miss the the biggest cool thing about Joseph's life, because if you ever look at Hebrews 11, he's commended in Hebrews 11, but he's not commended for any of the big things we normally notice in Genesis. But in Hebrews 11, it says he's commended because at the end of his life, uh, when he was about to die, he told um, his brothers and, and, and nephews and children that when they returned to Canaan, when they returned to their homeland to take his bones with them, And Joseph, I think, in the end, really mesmerizes us because he fundamentally believed in the character of God, and it sustained him through all kinds of things. And in the end, he believed the promises to his great-grandfather. He believed the promises to Abraham that God was going to give him a land. And so I always find it interesting that um, that's what Hebrews commends him for, despite all of the other things we would think is really big moments in this life. Wendy Alsup has been our guest. We've got more right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay with us. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, Wendy Alsup was our guest in that first segment talking about her two books, Companions in Suffering and I Forgive You. Paul McGrone, he's here in Orlando. Uh, His book is out. She's on time. And I'm so glad, Paul, that you've got time for us. So welcome to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. How are you? doing great, Pat. How are you? That's uh, Paul, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you. I always enjoy doing this show, talking to really some interesting people, and uh, including you. So, Paul, tell me about um, your theory. You've got a theory that, that there is a book inside of every one of us. Uh, can you expand yeah, I- on what? What does that mean? Can you expand on that? Well, of course, yeah. 
I mean, everyone who's lived a little bit has been to a wedding or a party or a gathering or even a local pub or eatery for that matter. And maybe has talked to someone at a bar or, you know, just talked to someone at the table they were seated at at a wedding. And, and in conversation between two strangers, you start to learn a little bit about someone's life. And I find, like, especially seniors and older people are on the, uh, the older side of their lives, they love to tell their story. And I, I get real excited when I get to listen to someone share this story with me. And I really believe that at a certain point in time, when you reach a certain age, you know what I mean, you've lived a life that you would love to, to share with others or tell others about. And some people do it in conversation. And I, and I swear to you, Pat, it's, it's the truth in my view that everyone does really at a certain point in their life have the ability to put a, you know, to put a memoir or autobiography together about their life. Because a lot of people I've spoken to have had pretty interesting lives, and I love to hear their story. Paul, I, <clears throat> I heard it once said that we are hardwired to retain stories, not PowerPoints. Thank goodness. What is it about stories that, that just just fascinates us, that we're, we're so addicted to stories? I think, I think each person has a life of their own, and they live their life day by day. And it's probably the reason why the entertainment industry does so well. People love to look in the window of another human being um, and see what their life is about. They, they already know to a certain extent of what their life is about as far as that individual, but looking at another individual and just kind of seeing what they're doing with their life, it's just an, an intriguing thing and an endearing thing, too. Uh, when you speak to people, very often they say the eyes are the, the windows to the soul, right? And sometimes you're in conversation with someone and you, you're in a, a deep conversation and you're making eye contact, and the story is more than just words that are assembled. The story is uh, emotions and feelings. And you convey that one human being to the next, and it does. It becomes captivating. And when someone can put that into a, a, you know, a manuscript or a book, and you're able to tell your story that way, if you're able to do it conversationally, which is something that someone mentioned to me is my writing style, you're able to do it conversationally, you almost feel like you're having a conversation with someone while you're reading their book. So I, I think people are just so interested in, you know, other people's lives and stories. And, and I think that it, there's something that something about that is very special. You can't find uh, that type of, I, I want to use the word entertainment because I can't think of another word. You can't find that type of entertainment anywhere else. People are very curious about other people's lives and what they've done. And the beautiful thing about that is the, the, the inspiration, the motivation, the determination that it creates. Because just by learning about someone's life, you can alter the trajectory of your own life. And it's very powerful. I think it's a pretty cool thing. Paul McGrone is with us. We're talking about his book, She's on Time. Paul, um, I want you to talk to us about how you turned your life around and where God fits into this whole story. Well, you know, it, it's a very interesting dynamic that young people, myself included, when I was a young man, I was searching for something. I just didn't know what it was. And I was inclined to be poetic and artistic. So I enjoyed that as a release in my life. And I found I had the ability to create uh, music and to put words together. And eventually I turned that into a, 
uh, uh, chasing a career in music. But like most people, when you're sometimes when you're young, you're also very influential, and it depends on what crowd you're in as to whether or not you're going to go the right direction or wrong direction. Well, I I went a combination of every which direction, you know, and I started to recognize I find myself in situations where I, I knew, I just felt I was not doing the right thing or going in the right direction. And now looking back, inevitably, I believe that God places people at a specific interval in time for each and every one of us during the course of our lives that helps us to get back in the path we're supposed to be on. And this happened throughout my life numerous times until I met the angel of my life, which is why I called the book She's on Time. And that's my wife, Karen. And once I, once I met Karen, you know, I had been doing all these crazy things and not so good things. And it, it was definitely divine intervention in, in, in God, because I, I don't know if, if she had not been placed in my life at that time, if I would even be alive today. And just the fact that she changed my whole world around. And then I look back on that and I say to myself, there's just no way that faith and, and, and God didn't have a role in this. And then with each passing day, I've been married now 31 years, mm. you know, I cherish this woman. And I look at her as the reason why I found my path. I think God placed an angel in my life and, he, and I got to where I needed to be. And I'm still learning and I still look ahead. But um, dis- discovering, discovering faith was a huge thing. And that, that book that I put together, I think, really described my individual experience of finding faith. But there was one other time in life where I watched something pretty special. I actually was asked to read the book, The Purpose Driven, Driven Life. And that was, I think I read that, might have been in my late 30s. And, you know, I, I was already faithful. Um, but after reading that book, it really strengthened that faith and made me have a better understanding of what faith is and what it's about. Um, so I guess I'm... You know, people will ask you, are you Christian? Are you this? Are you that? And I like to think I'm Christian, but I also like to, to remind everyone that faith is a journey. And I'm on a special place in my journey right now, and each and every person listening is probably in their own place in their own journey right now. It's, it's a lifelong journey. Well, Paul, we become Christians when we make a decision to accept Jesus Christ into our life as our Savior and Lord. And the minute that happens, we're, um, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're assured of a place in heaven, and uh, we're, we're promised an abundant life on this earth. It's, it's quite a package that we get when we uh, invite Christ into our lives. Uh, an abundant life here and a future in heaven. Boy, that's, that's, the, that's the best offer any person can get. But I, I'm in. Go ahead, Paul. I could. I couldn't agree more. I, I, you just made, you just reminded me of, of something that just makes me laugh when, when I think of it. And when you complete your thought, I'll, I'll get back to it. I want you to talk about the magic in your life of songwriting. Where does that all come together? Well, that's, that's the most incredible thing in the world to me. Um, I wish I had a definite answer as like what the source is, because I don't. And Pat, every time that I would sit down, and I would try to write a song with the intent of writing a song. I could pull it off, but it would be a challenge, and it would be difficult, and there would be roadblocks and all that stuff. 
But the true magic of, of that art coming through you is when you actually don't sit down to write a song. You sit down, just pick up your instrument. In my case, it's my acoustic guitar. And you just start to play and something comes out of you. And it's those those moments, those creative moments that are absolutely magical. And only other songwriters and other artists, I think, can understand it. And I was hoping whoever read my book would get an idea of what that felt like for the people who aren't involved in the arts or aren't writing music. And what it's like is it's just kind of, it's kind of like something just grabs hold of your soul and it, it uses your, your body and your, and your mouth to, to release the, the feelings that you're feeling. And it's unstoppable and un, an indescribable phenomenon where it's almost like someone takes hold of you and is controlling you as you, as you're writing this stuff. And I've had that happen numerous times. I've, I've been a writer my whole life. And I actually have to go back after that process is done and learn what came out of me. It's not like I thought about it. Right? So it's a pretty magical thing. And, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with words and music, sometimes you write stuff that makes sense to everyone. And sometimes it's rather abstract, makes sense to only the writer. And sometimes it's somewhere in between where the person listening, one person can listen and say, I don't know what that means but yet it'll touch someone else in a, in a, in a special way. Um, so being an artist and, and writing music, it's a great outlet. Um, it was something very magical in my life. I still do it today. In fact, um, on my YouTube channel, there's a song called Cheese on Time. I, um, it was meant to be released with the books and it, with the book, and it was close together within a few weeks. Um, and that song was one that just came out of me, just like I described. It's just a special... I, I just, I believe it's the most special thing anyone could ever experience. If you're, if you're in the arts, when that happens, it, it's just magic. There's no other way to say it. Paul, do you think songwriters are born or, or developed? You know, I think that they're born with the ability. And um, as a musician for many years, been in several different bands throughout my life, I can tell you, then they're developed. So you take, me as an example, perfect example, as an individual songwriter, you know, I, I feel like I was born with this ability, but the development of playing with other musicians and everyone's input taking a place in the songwriting process and maybe not the exact writing process every time, but definitely the arrangement process where everyone comes together. I think the more you surround yourself with other people who are talent the more you develop what you were born with. I don't know if that answers the question, but I think that that's close to the answer as I could get. I want you to uh, uh, talk about your relationship with God. You, you've made a statement uh, that uh, your prayer has been that God will forgive you of the sins that you've committed. Do, do you feel that he has? Well, I pray that he has. I, I, I do accept Jesus. So that does make me technically, a, you know, a, a Christian. And then I believe that I am going to go to heaven someday. But the thing that you mentioned earlier that made me laugh, that kind of falls right into this uh, conversation, is I always say that, like, when my wife picks up the phone and she dials heaven, she gets right through. They pick it up. They're like, hey, Karen, how are you? So good to hear from you. What can we do for you? When I dial, it's always like, you know, please hold for the next available operator. <laughs> and that's kind of where I feel I am. Um, I, I don't have the answers, 
but I have a strong faith and, and, and I really, I, I've lived a life that's been very full and pretty intense with a lot of different ups and downs. So, you know, I, I regret every sin I've committed. And I think I say this in my book, but I don't regret any of the experiences that guided me to where I am right now. What does it mean to you, Paul, uh, to uh, live in the United States of America? Oh, it's the greatest, it's the greatest country on earth. I do believe it was a gift from God. And to have lived and have been born and lived here and then just enjoyed all the amazing blessings that we have as Americans in this country, it's just been, I just cherish it very much. And the older that I get and I look back at my life, I'm so grateful for that. And then I look around and I pray that, you know, the, the young people today and the people living today learn to appreciate what we have at some point because uh, like they say, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, right now the country is facing some challenges. Um, I meet a lot of really promising young people, but I look around sometimes and I scratch my head wondering what's going on with other young people. Um, the country's just the country's just a special country. And um, it's just a, a, such a privilege to have lived here. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine my life being uh, anywhere else. Really, it's just an incredible place. I my, my dad came from Italy. You know, my parents they raised me here. Um, my dad really embraced this country when he came here. He came here legally. He didn't speak any English. It was a lot of work for him to be able to come here and to. He joined the service. He was in the army, and, and uh, he made a life for himself. He learned the language, raised the family, and did the most incredible thing. You know, he became an American, and he. He did a great job. My mom and dad did a great job. And I look back at my life and I look, I look at that as I was very fortunate to have good parents that appreciated the country as well. This is a great country. I, I pray for this country each and every morning when I pray. You know, Paul, I'm sure you do too. Thank you, Paul. Paul McGrone is our guest. We have another segment with Paul, so stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Paul McGrone uh, has written a book, She's on Time. He's an outstanding writer of good music. He's here in Orlando. Uh, Paul, uh, if you are asked by people who don't live here uh, to describe your feelings about Orlando, Florida, uh, what do you tell them? What would you say? Well, you know, my wife and I, we, we left New York in 1996, and we moved here. And the reason we moved here is my father-in-law, God rest his soul, he passed away in the 90s. Um, but he he had a vision for us. He He thought my wife and I would really do well in central Florida. So we took his advice and we did, we moved here and we never looked back. And this, this city has been so great to us. Um, we were able to, to make a good living here. You know, we, we enjoy the attractions, the entertainment, the restaurants, the venues. Uh, it's a little hard to get used to at first uh, because of the, the temperature and humidity for a large part of the year, but you do get used to it over time. You get used to the fact that you're going to sweat a lot, but you know, it's, it's a beautiful city. Uh, the state of Florida, you know, 
we started to actually after COVID uh, came through to stick to Florida as far as like vacationing. This has got to be one of the most beautiful states uh, in the entire country. And some of the beaches here, you know, are, are as beautiful, if not more beautiful than, than the Caribbean. And we, we spent some time. We love Siesta Key. You know, we, we love the coast, uh, Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater area. I mean, living in Florida and central Florida, particularly, you have all this entertainment and all these things you can do. It's, it's a great place to live, but you're so close to just a, a great vacation in either direction, no matter where you go. We just live in a really phenomenal place. It's a great city. Paul, you have made this statement before, and I'm, uh, I'm uh, intrigued by it. Uh, life has really gone by so fast. It, it, it's, it, it flashes before your eyes. And, and I found, Paul, the older you get, uh, the faster life seems to go. Uh, can you, your, your thoughts on that? Well, it's, uh, you talk to anybody who's lived a little and, and is uh, maybe, let's say, over 50, I would say. That, there's nothing truer than that. It does. It goes really quick. Um, and in, in the blink of an eye, uh, you know, you, and that, I guess when, if you're going to write a journal or you're going to write a book or you're going to try to do something like that, or even if you just, you know, keep a journal of your own, you know, you'll see it just goes so quick. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And in a blink of an eye, your lifetime could pass you. And I think as you get older, um, you tend to recognize the inevitability that you're not going to be around forever. And here, what's happening in your life is time is going so quick, and you're recognizing that you may not be here forever. All of a sudden, you have an urgency. You just have a passion, a desire to want to do everything you can before you leave this earth. You want your life to be enjoyable. You want to accomplish things maybe that you've been thinking about your whole life, but you put them off. And now that you're older and you recognize time is short, well, you're going to you're going to actually reach out and, and do it this time. You know, that was part of the reason, uh, you know, the book writing, you know, I, I just, I, I just wanted to do it. I really wanted to, sh- to prove to myself that I could do this. And, and you know what, sometimes in life, we get so busy, we procrastinate where, you know, we go to work, we open our garage door, back out, drive away, come home from work, go back into the garage. And every day it's repetitious. It's the same. And maybe that's why it goes so fast. I don't know. But it does. It seems like it's, it's fleeting. So for those who are like looking um, at their lives, looking forward, you know, if you, if you accept faith and you have a strong faith and you, you pray every day uh, and you live your life like treating people the way you'd want to be treated and start to look ahead at some of the things you want to do, surround yourself with beautiful people, just do, do life, I guess is the best way to say it, because you just don't know when God is going to call your name, you know? Paul, you recommend highly uh, the importance of journaling. Uh, can, can you expand on that? I just think you learn so much about yourself when you're actually putting into words your, the chronicles of your life. Um, you know, when I, when I used to do sales years ago, they used to tell me to write your goals down and put it on your mirror in the bathroom so that you see them every day. And there's merit to that because it reminds you of what you're promising yourself you're going to accomplish. And if you see it every day, it has an impact and you're more likely to do it. So when you journal or when you write about yourself, 
I think it just introduces you to who you really are and reminds you who you really are. You know, what's the core of that person? Who is this person? I think it's great, and it's also great for therapeutic reasons. Sometimes when you, uh, when you chronicle your life and you're writing things down, they become a little clearer, and you might be able to make a better decision moving forward after you've you know, read what you just wrote yesterday, for example. Paul, to uh, people who may be listening today who have really made some poor decisions, uh, they're struggling now. Uh, they've got, they're in a deep hole. Um, what do you tell them? They, they want to try and get out of that hole. Do you have a word for them? Well, I think that if you're if you're truly struggling and and you're and you're facing challenges, the only way that you can find your way uh, up, if you you're at the bottom of that ladder and you need to put your foot on that first rung and start climbing, first thing you need to do is look for hands reaching down. Nobody ever does this alone. Doesn't matter what your challenge is. And like in my book, you know, I and she's on time. I I wrote several times that. There's more than one angel. God places people in the right place at the right time at that specific interval when you need them most. You just have to look for them. You just have to look. So look for those hands that are reaching down to help pull you up. Don't be uh, isolating yourself where you, you're not giving yourself a chance. You know, faith is very strong and very powerful. And the people that God surrounds you with is, is what makes it even stronger. You just have to accept it. If you're willing to look around for people and, and accept their help, um, you know, you have a really good chance of, of, of lifting yourself up. And I would say that you're facing a drug challenge issue, you know, an addiction issue, uh, whether you maybe, maybe you're just lonely, you know, depressed, you know, there's, there's always a place to look and that, that place is the God. Paul, can you give us uh, in closing a um, a book report on she's on time like a like an encapsulation yeah we've got two two a two minute book report on she's on time okay so i take i take a spot in my life where i was a young person and confused and, and didn't really understand myself an awkward individual and i got into music because it was a passion of mine i quickly learned that, you know, that art was special, both poetry and music. Then in pursuit of fame and fortune and, you know, trying to become a professional musician, I fell into some really bad habits and got addicted some, to some really bad things and acted in really bad ways. And then there were several angels that kept me afloat during that time. And ultimately, the one that mattered the most was my wife, Karen. And from the moment I met her, my life took on a different meaning. And I've accomplished some pretty incredible things after being married to her for 31 years. And together, we've built an amazing life. And, you know, I'm just excited about where we go from here. And I'm so grateful to have found faith in my life and to have been blessed with so many incredible people and surrounded by so many incredible people. And that's really what this book is about, to encapsulate it. It's just a journey, one man's journey of overcoming challenges, finding the woman he loves, and discovering the magic of faith. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul McGrone.
has been our guest talking about his book, She's on Time. And speaking of books, uh, our latest book is out. I, my friend uh, Mark Atterbury and I have, have put together a book called Every Day is Game Day. And we, uh, for 365 days, we tell a sports story, a sports anecdote. And then that leads into to the devotional a portion of the book or of each day. So I think you'll enjoy it. If you like sports and if you love the Lord, uh, this, this could be a good one for you. Uh, every day is game day. And uh, always run up to Amazon. I think I've found that's a good way to order books. Uh, Paul McGrone, she's on time. Well, folks, we got to wrap up right after this here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And, of course, this is AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Well, I'm so glad you could join us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We've had a nice visit, first of all, with Wendy Alsup um, in South Carolina, talking about her book, two books, Companions in Suffering and I Forgive You. And then Paul McGrone, who's local, uh, talked about his life and his book, She's on Time. Uh, Folks, just a reminder, we're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. And you can be a big help. Just go up to the website, uh, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. And, and just check in. Tell us your level of interest and what do you think and what, what's going on in your mind about all this. And maybe you'd be interested in season tickets someday. Orlandodreamers.com. In the meantime, <clears throat> have a wonderful week ahead. Uh, We'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And stay tuned uh, all day. You'll be blessed. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll see you next weekend. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.